Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. spend some time today in the book of Acts, and and specifically I want to look at three different snapshots into the life of Philip, which maybe he's not necessarily the most known Bible character that you'll read about in Acts. Um, A lot of that goes to, to Paul, a lot of it goes to Peter, but I think there are three windows that we see into the life of Philip that actually can benefit us as we look into a new year, because I don't know how you feel. I was when I look at a new year, like specifically this week, like the last week of a year, getting ready to go into a new year, there's a, there's a moment of tension. There's this moment of looking back on the previous year and, and thinking through the things that maybe I didn't do so well on. Maybe where I missed the mark, I missed the target. Maybe I didn't accomplish some of the things that I, I was hoping to. And then there's the, the dichotomy of looking into a new year where it's a blank slate and it's just, it's just full of opportunity and potential to be used by God to make a difference in the, the lives of other people. And this week in particular, it's this moment, uh, this week of tension between the two of them. And, and specifically, Acts chapter 6 is where we'll start the story of Philip and we see him coming onto the scene in a similar moment of tension in, within the early church. We're going to start in verse 5, but if you, if you read the story from verse 1 on, what you see is there is this dispute happening within the early church. There's this complaining or conflict, which I'm sure is impossible to believe, that there was conflict in the church or complaining. But there was this moment of, of conflict where some widows weren't, were not being taken care of. They weren't being looked after in the daily food distributions. And here's where we see Philip First stepping onto the scene in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And this is the moment where you see Philip being called into something and called into an opportunity. Chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So what they're doing is they're picking out seven people who they're going to they're gonna place into this opportunity of serving and making sure the widows are looked after. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Proterus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, some great baby names, just in case you're, that's your season of life, a proselyte from Antioch, and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. See, we love these moments of calling. We naturally gravitate through them throughout all of Scripture. We think about Moses. We think about Elisha. We think about um, John the Baptist. We think about all of these incredible moments of calling, and there's just so much excitement when you think about them. It's like the starting line of a race. I don't know if you've ever run a race before, but there's all this buzz and, and, and energy at the starting line, which about a mile in all goes away. It's like it is no longer fun. It is no longer exciting. Now you're just running. Apparently, you don't think that feel the same way I do about running because it's not an enjoyable thing. It's running never becomes more fun. You just go faster. It's this problem with running. And 
it's this moment of excitement in, in the early church where they're, they're choosing out these seven men who are going to, to serve and take care of these widows. What I love about this moment in Philip's life, this first moment that we see him, is that he doesn't just have a call moment. He doesn't just have a moment where he, he gets called into serving and called into helping people, into making a difference. We actually get to see the obedience that follows that call. You see, our, our calls are only as valuable as the obedience that follows them. If we don't have an act of obedience, there's no value in the call because we don't actually take any motion. I've heard it like this. It's you can't steer a parked car. You can have the greatest car in the world, but until you put that car into drive, you're not going anywhere. Philip, we see this call moment in his life. And then all of a sudden we see him begin to, to seize the opportunity that he sees right in front of him. And it's amazing because it's probably one of the least glamorous opportunities you could have. I mean, Jesus had just, in the, the story of the early church, Jesus had just ascended. He's, he's rose from the dead. He had the resurrection moment. He imparted to the disciples, and now he's in heaven. He's, all of these things have transpired. And then the first opportunity that we see in the early church is waiting tables. Now, I don't know what Philip's aspirations were internally, but that doesn't seem like a glamorous moment. We're going to choose seven people to wait tables. Now, I don't know if we had the same moment here and now, how many of us would be jumping at the opportunity to say, yes, that is what I want to do. You see, because opportunities require work. And every time we see an opportunity, we have a moment, a decision to make in that, in that moment, will we put in the effort, will we put in the work required to meet that opportunity? Listen, I've got three kids, six, four, and one. My life is nothing but work. It's this reality that every opportunity we have to make an investment and to make a difference in other people actually requires some effort on our part. Impact and effort always go hand in hand. If you want to have great impact, there has to be a, a corresponding effort that goes into that. We don't fall into these great opportunities. We begin to seize small ones, and what happens is as we're faithful and we, we take, seize a moment, another one presents itself. And that's really what we see in the life of Philip. We see him seizing a moment, seizing a call opportunity to begin serving. Thomas Edison said it like this. He says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Every opportunity we have will require some effort on our part. We don't wake up one day and have incredible relationships a relationship with Jesus without applying some effort. Your alarm clock doesn't go off on its own. You actually have to say, I'm going to turn this on. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get out of bed so that I can spend time with Jesus, so I can read his word. It's this, this link of 
opportunity and impact, impact and effort, they all go together and they all feed into each other. And as we see one opportunity and we're, we're faithful in taking it, then all of a sudden we have another opportunity that that one leads to. And it's this great game of dominoes to where as we see one opportunity and we seize it and we see it go over, what happens is there's another one that follows it. And we see this in Philip over and over and over again. And the thing that sticks out to me about Philip's call moment was this, is that one, that it wasn't glamorous, but two, that he was just faithful to it. I think so, so many times what happens in our lives is we get, instead of having our eyes fixed on Jesus and having our eyes locked into what God is calling us to do, we begin to look to the left and to the right. And I love social media. Um, I actually, this will date me a little bit. I remember when you had to have a .edu email address to get a Facebook account. Now, some of you guys are like, what? That's it's okay. I grew up a long time ago. But it's this moment where I love social media because it's given us this ability to connect with one another. And I have friends from, literally, they're scattered all around the world now. And, and I have friends in other countries that I'm able to, to correspond with and stay in connection with. Um, but what it's also done is also it's given us the ability to say, okay, what is God calling me to do? And then all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we can start looking to the left and the right and go, what is God calling them to do? And in Hebrews 11, it's fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And instead of keeping our eyes fixed on him, all of a sudden now our eyes start to get fixed on somebody else. And what are they doing? And we get into this trap of comparison because all of a sudden, now what we thought was a, a, a calling that we, we had value in and all of these things, now all of a sudden we're comparing it to somebody else and we're comparing it to somebody else's calling and our perspective shifts and it changes and we devalue what God has called us to do. Listen, there are no second tier callings in the kingdom of God. But when we, we start looking to the left and we start looking to the right, we, we begin to, to kind of rank callings. Like, oh, that's, a, that's like a level one calling. That's such a great calling. That's like top tier. That's like preem of the preem. You know what I mean? It's like the best calling. And then you go, well, here, I'm kind of like a level five calling. And then we look at this other person and we're like, well, you know what? They got like a level nine calling over here. So I'm doing better than them, but I'm nowhere near doing as well as these. And we start ranking and we start doing this, this weird thing because it shifts our perspective on what God is doing in and through us. And we see Philip being faithful to this call moment. And all of us have these moments and we have them all throughout our lives where God is calling us to something. Even as David was saying earlier that what is God calling you into in 2020? I remember 18 years ago, I was, um, I just gave my life to Jesus 18 years ago this May. And, uh, I wanted to start helping. I wanted to start serving. I wanted to get involved in my local church at the time. And the youth pastor sat me down and he's like, so you want to help out? And I was like, yeah, I'll do whatever. I'll do, yes, I want to help. I'm just 18, fired up, um, pretty intense teenager. You know, I was like, yes, I want to do this. And he said, okay, I, I think I got the job for you. I was like, yeah, come on, well, let's go. I'm in college, you know what I mean? It's, I'm, I'm, if you're 18, I'm sorry, but you just have this, and 
this thing inside of you that thinks you're a big deal. At least I did. So maybe that's not you. Anyway, that's my own personal <laughs> issues and hangups. But I was like, yes, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve. I'm fired up. Yes, I wanna help some teenagers here. And he said, here's what I need you to do. Um, youth group starts at 7 p.m. I need you to be here at 6.15. And um, I, need you to, um, I need you to clean out the mousetraps. And I was like, excuse me? What? Do you not know? I'm kind of a big deal. He said, no, no, here's what I need you to do. I need you to, like, um, the, the youth group met off-site, and it was next to a grocery store. And because of that, there's the storage areas, and there's just mice. Kind of gross. But um, he said, I need you to show up, and I need you to empty all the traps out before students start showing up. And I was like, okay. And he said, and then... And then there was, there was the, and then. And then I need you to reset them all after the night's over. Glamorous, right? And uh, I said, okay. So I showed up 6.15. I emptied the traps out. I stayed late, reset them, put them all back where they go, you know, because then the next week I'd have something to do. And, and I did that for about six months. I did that for several months. And eventually I got a promotion. Yes, I got promoted. I was the chief chair stacker at the end of the night. To where after youth group was over, I had to stack the chairs and then vacuum the room. I got to hand off the, the mouse trap roll to somebody else, and I became a chair stacker. And then I did that for months, and then I got to run the, the PowerPoints. It wasn't ProPresenter back then. It was PowerPoint, and you got to page up and down really quickly. And um, all of these things to, to operate the screens, and it just kept shifting what I was doing. And what was formative in that season for me was this, is that your call will look different based on the season of life you find yourself in. That your call doesn't stay the same. And in the life of Philip, we see a progression of his call as well. So in Acts chapter six, we see him being called into to an opportunity to serve people. As you progress through the life of Philip, you see it again in Acts chapter 8. We see the story, this another account of Philip's life, to where you see him staying current with the call of God on his life. It's Acts chapter 8, verse 5, and it says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in that city. So right here in chapter eight, we see Philip, or chapter six, we see Philip the servant, Philip the waiter, Philip serving tables. In chapter eight, now all of a sudden we start seeing this different picture of Philip where he's doing something drastically different than what he was doing before. We see Philip, the waiter, the servant. Chapter eight, all of a sudden we see Philip, the preacher. And then at the end of the chapter, we see him a few more times. In verse 26, we see Philip talking to an angel. And in verse 38, we see Philip talking to an Ethiopian eunuch and then baptizing him. And then Philip, in verse 39, vanishes and goes to Caesarea. So in one chapter, we see Philip preaching, healing, baptizing, and vanishing. Like, that's a big chapter. But in that, we see Philip not getting 
fixated on a specific role that he was doing at that time. I think some of us have this idea of what I would call a singularity of purpose. And I honestly, I, it's a complete and utter myth for your life. You will never just have a purpose in your life. You will have a multitude of purposes all throughout your life. Servant, preacher, baptizer. All of these things are wrapped up in Philip's life. Later on, in a moment, we're going to get to Acts chapter 21, where we see Philip's influence as a father. And each one of these areas is so drastically different from the last. What would happen if, just stay with me, as a little bit of a holy imagination moment, where if in chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, Philip going, you know what? I'm not a preacher. I'm a waiter. I'm, gonna, I'm, no, I'm tapping out. I'm not going to do that. That's not, that's not what I do. I promise you, God wants to keep you moving through seasons of life and keep your calling current. You know, it's fun. I love communicating. I love doing all the things that I get to do at Radiant Church. But at the end of the day, at five o'clock today, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be raising my kids. It's current. Some of you have been serving Christ for decades. And you're going, well, I've already done all that. I've already served. I've already, I've, I already did the greeter thing. I already did the usher thing. I already did the um, pick your thing. And I've already did that. I'm just going to let someone else do something. No, no, no. You, you still have a call of God on your life. And it's, it will change with the season of life that you find yourself in. Let me tell you, that's okay. You won't just be one thing for your whole life. But if we have our identity wrapped up into a specific role, it will, it will literally, it'll just choke us. Because what happens is all of a sudden, now, wait a minute, I thought I was, I thought I was the chair stacker. No, 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 that's not who you are. That's not your identity. That's just what you're doing. No, no, God, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through this 18, 19-year-old Nathan. I'm going, wait, no, no, God, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want, I, I, hold on, no, 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 that's not who you actually are. Who you are is a son. Who you are is my child. Who you are is a disciple of Christ. That's who you are. These are just the things that you're doing. And if we try to get our identity to flow out of the things we do, we'll get frustrated. And there'll be tension and there'll be pain because we'll, we'll feel overlooked when someone else gets promoted at our job. And we get frustrated and angry at that person when it wasn't even their decision. We'll get mad at coworkers because they're not treating us the way we think we should be treated. And we're getting everything about our lives is getting tied up into the specific role that we're walking in instead of who Christ says we are on the inside. If you allow your role to lead your life, you will get frustrated. But if you allow your identity in Christ to lead your life, I promise you, you can walk through any season. There's this reality that we see Philip not only answering a call in a moment, not only seeing and seizing the opportunity that was before him, but transitioning into these other areas of life that he was staying current with what God was calling him to do. 
His life was flowing out of his God-given identity. I love what David says, our pastor. He says like this, if you have the best year of your life spiritually, you will have the best year of your life. That there's something intrinsic about your investment into your relationship with the Lord because godliness has longevity. And we can have any number of New Year's resolutions and all these things, but what I'm I'm saying is what I hope is for you today is that you'll put more weight on the things that will have longevity, that you'll you'll place more weight and emphasis on the things that will make an impact into your spiritual life than anything else. It's easy to say, hey, it's, I'm going to start and I'm going to lose weight in 2020, or I'm going to go to the gym in 2020, or I'm going to do X, Y, Z in 2020. And those things are all, they're all good. There's nothing wrong with them. But I'm, my hope is today that you'll put emphasis on the things that will grow you spiritually in 2020 above the things that will just improve you physically in 2020. The reality is that you have about a 92% chance of failing at your New Year's resolution. Welcome to church. Happy New Year. This is, this is crazy to me. I read this this week that you actually have a higher chance of getting accepted into Juilliard for ballet than you do of keeping your New Year's resolution. I, I took that as a win. I'm 36 and I don't dance. I was like, I got a shot. You know, the reality is if we're willing to stay current with what God is doing in our hearts and we're willing to to stay up to date and say, lean in to God and say, God, what are you asking me to do? What's the vision for my life for this year? Is there a verse that you want me to embrace and live out in a a fresh and real way in 2020? Is 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 this gonna be the year that I actually do read the Bible in one year? You know, or am I gonna, I'm gonna punt when I get to Leviticus like I have every other year for the last decade? It's funny because it's true. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's this moment, are we gonna, are, what are we gonna do with the things that God is calling us to do? Because God is calling each and every single one of us to do something. He's calling us into a current life, a life that's in step with his Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to that. And the question is, how will we respond to the fresh season, to the new season and the new thing that he's calling you to? As we keep going in the life of Philip, and I love kind of the last snapshot that you see of his life. You, you really, you don't get to see much. You get to see these three windows of Philip's life. You get to see Acts chapter six. He's called. He has an opportunity to begin serving. He does it. You see Acts chapter eight. He's, he's preaching and he's doing these really incredible things. And then you don't see him again. All the way until Acts chapter 21. And in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, you see that he has four daughters who are prophets and that Paul stayed at his house. Now, this is a pretty, like, wild concept to me. Because most people would look at the back end of Philip's life almost like it was a failure. If we're honest. We see Acts chapter 8 and we think, okay, Philip's prime for big time. Like, he's healing people, he's preaching, he's baptizing people. This is like, he has got a high arc on his life, right? 
and you don't hear anything. And then the next thing you hear about him is really not even about him, but about his children. Most of us, if we're honest, I think we would look at Philip's life like, oh man, that's how, that's how it ended? But I promise you, there are no second tier callings in the kingdom of God. The fact that Philip raised four daughters, I've got one daughter, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Philip has four daughters who are prophets. That takes a high degree of intentionality and a high degree of consistency. It is amazing to me when I step back and I think of, and about Philip's life in light of being a father myself, I'm going, that's amazing. Paul could have stayed anywhere and he chose to stay with Philip. This is, in my estimation, an incredible recommendation about the home life that Philip was able to cultivate and his investment into his home and into other people. It's amazing. It would be so easy just to look at Philip's ministry life, so to speak, that we miss his home life. And so often your home life is more indicative of where your, your relationship with God than your public life. You really are who you are when you're all by yourself. And it's, it's one thing to, to step out and to, to, to put on the, the big smile and the, the, the face at church or the face in public. But man, we want, my hope and my prayer for you is that when you're at your home, your heart's alive. And there's passion for Jesus, even when no one's around to witness it. It's amazing the value that God places on your personal relationship with Christ and, and how you're investing in others. Do you know, this is how I would, this is how I, this is why I say that Philip's home life is just as important as anything else he's doing. Because there's one more example of, in my opinion, Philip in the, in the book of Acts, but his name's not mentioned. It's kind of this, you've got to read the text a little bit to, to pick it up. But in Acts chapter 10, God sends Peter to preach to Caesarea. This is really interesting to me because Peter was 17 miles away in Jerusalem at the time. So God sending Peter to Caesarea when Philip is already there is intriguing to me. Well, God, this isn't, come on, let's be, let's be real. I'm, my, I have a degree in operations management. Nothing about that makes sense to me. Like, there is no way the logistics of that situation make any sense. You're, God, you're going to send Peter to go preach to Caesarea. God, you've already got Philip in Caesarea. It's not like he can't preach and communicate. We've already established that in Acts chapter 8. Like, he is capable, but you're not using him in that moment. Why? because he's investing in his family. He's investing into his daughters. He's investing into his, into his home. And, and I know the pushback, I don't have kids. I'm not there yet. I don't have that. You've got an apartment. You've got young people surrounding you who are looking for spiritual mothers and fathers. You have people who you can invest in and pour your heart out, spiritually speaking, pour into them. You may not have four prophetess daughters, but you've got people in your sphere of influence that you have the ability to impact. 
And I promise you, there is value in that. There's so much value in that. We can't rank what God has called us to do. Because he's speaking to each of us as an individual. And if our perspective isn't right, if our perspective begins to get skewed because we're looking to the left or we're looking to the right, what happens is it begins to diminish the unique call that God has placed on your life. And I promise you, God has placed a call on your life. We just have to respond to it. There's there's no one-size-fits-all approach here. I know that would be much easier for all of us if it was. If we could just say, here, here's X, here's Y, here's Z. Do these three things and go and prosper. Christianity doesn't work like that. It's, and trust me, I, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an operations guy. I wish it would work like that, but it doesn't. It's a relationship. It's a dialogue. It's, it's okay, God, what are, you, what are you speaking to me now? I'm going to lean in. I'm going to listen to you speak to me, and then I'm going to respond. That's why we believe in passion-based ministry here at Radiant. It's not that we think that it's, here's what, we understand that God has uniquely created you and uniquely called you. And that each one of us have a different gift and a different makeup that he has put inside of us. And our hope is just to help you walk in that. Trust me, it would be far easier to say, hey, we need a bunch of kids workers and we need some drummers. If we can do those two things, we're going to be just fine as a church. But it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, you won't be your healthiest like that because then when you come to church, it's actually a withdrawal from your life. And when you're with the body, it becomes a withdrawal because you're, you're serving out of a need. You're serving, oh, I have to do this. They're going to make me do this. So I better just do it. No, 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 no. What has God called you to do? What are the spiritual gifts that he's placed inside of you? And how can we help you walk in them? Because then we all win. So I'm a child of the 90s, right? Um, I grew up watching the Chicago Bulls. Anybody with me? Okay, got it. Yeah, there we go. Um, so I absolutely love it. The 90s, it was peak. I mean, they won six championships. They had Michael Jordan, one of the greatest ever. Scottie Pippen, awesome in his own right. You know, Dennis Rodman, who was just, he was weird then too, but... Um, <laughs> All these players, right? And they had Steve Kerr, um, who's now the Warriors coach. And um, there was one night where Steve Kerr, I mean, he was a starting guard in the NBA, Chicago Bulls, all the publicity, all of the press, everything was right there. And he scored one point. Now, for a starting guard in the NBA, that's bad. Just, I just, just in case you don't know sports, one point is bad. Um, and the reporters were talking to him. He was having an interview after the game, and they said, Steve, can you tell me about this? This is like... He scored one point tonight. And he looks at the reporter and he, he kind of leans in a little bit and he says, well, a little bit of defiance in his, in his voice, if I'm honest. And he goes, well, Michael and I scored 61 tonight, so I think we'll be okay. See, Steve may have only scored one point that night. But Michael Jordan scored 60. And the two of them together were able to accomplish more than any one of them individually would have been able to. There are moments in your life where if you will lean into the Holy Spirit, lean into, allow God to speak to you as you spend time with him, he will call you to things. Maybe instead of listening to talk radio, it's turning worship on. 
Maybe instead of snapping at your children impatiently, you respond with kindness and grace. Maybe instead of getting frustrated at a coworker, you know, look at them in the same way Jesus would someone who doesn't know him, with love and compassion. What are the things that God is calling you to for this year? It doesn't matter how long you've been serving Christ. God is, I believe, God is speaking to you uniquely and individually about your heart and your life. And my hope today is that you respond to that call. In the same way that Stephen answered the opportunity because it was in front of him. My hope is that today you'll have an opportunity to respond to what God is saying to you. And I promise as you say yes to that opportunity, more opportunities will come. Where you're at at the end of 2020 will not hopefully be where you're at at the beginning of 2020. But it takes you leaning in and saying, okay, I'm gonna pursue Jesus with all my heart. And even if, I, even if I miss a day, even if I mess up, even if I fall short in some way this year, I'm gonna get right back up and I'm gonna keep going. Because I believe that God has a call for your life. I believe that there are people who are waiting to be impacted because of the, the season of life that we're stepping in collectively and individually. would, could you bow your heads with me? So I want to ask you today, what's God speaking to you? Is he speaking to work on repairing an old relationship? Is he speaking to you about spending more time in his word? Is he speaking to you about specifically and, and intentionally praying for people who don't know him? What's he speaking to you today? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And even in this moment, you just, you just feel him speaking to you even now saying you need to cross the line of faith and begin a relationship with me. You've never said yes to following him and today you want to. And if that's you, just right where you're at, no one's looking around but me, I'd just like you to raise your hand. If that was you today, just a really simple prayer. Jesus, I just want you to repeat this prayer. Jesus, just save me. Trust me, that is not everything you need to say to Jesus, but that's the first thing you need to say to him. Because as you respond to his call, he'll keep speaking to you.
Can we stand on our feet? I want to pray for us today. Jesus, we love you. God, we are so thankful that you are not a God who's distant, but you're a God who's close. You're a God who's near to us. So Holy Spirit, I pray as we, as we look into the next year, God, as we prepare our hearts to fast, to pray, to seek you, you would speak to us in, in real ways, that you would call us in authentic ways. In Jesus' name, amen.